Genesis 17. If you haven't been uh, able to follow along online while you're all on vacation or wherever you've been, <laughs> the end of the summer, um, just to let you know, Genesis 16 was quite, quite fun. We had a situation where Abram and Sarai, they're old, and God had given them a promise that, hey, through you, all the nations will be blessed. And what happened is, I don't know about you, but I get tired of waiting in the promises of God sometimes, and I try to help God out. God, let's speed this situation up. And so what Sarah had this great idea. She goes, Abram, why don't you take this, this servant of mine and go have, an, have, a, have a kid with her? Go ahead and have a kid with her, and it will be our kid. And in that culture, in that day, that was something that was totally normal. If a, if a couple couldn't do that, uh, the Babylonians and all the people over there, this is what they would do. They'd have a surrogate child, and that child would be through a different mother, but that child would eventually be to the couple that arranged it. It would be as if it was their child that was born to them, would carry on their name. And so when we're reading that, we kind of go, man, that's kind of a weird, funky deal. Yes, it was a weird, funky deal, but it was normal in their culture. I'm sure looking at our culture from different parts of the world, we might go, that's a weird deal. And so they were, um, in their hearts, they were going to go ahead and make the promises of God happen. And when we do that, when we try to move ahead, the Bible calls that kind of operating in our flesh. Kind of, I'm going to make God happen God's will happen in my own power, in my own strength. And that is something that God does not bless, and it causes a lot of pain and struggle in our lives. And as we see, they did have a, a child. They had Ishmael, and they were out in the wilderness. Uh, actually, as Sarai and Hagar, this servant who had the child, they were uh, not getting along, surprisingly, because Sarah she didn't have a baby and in that culture not having a child was like a curse and so here this servant is having this child and she's gloating and so they're not getting along and so Sarah says get out of here you know she goes to Abraham and basically says hey you know this is your problem you did this to me and he was partially at fault kicked him out and here uh, here Hagar is going back to Egypt and she's in the wilderness which she will be in again later on as we read but She's in the wilderness, and she's fearing that they're going to die. And she's by this well, and she meets the angel of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but life is often full of situations to where we didn't do it God's way. We didn't wait for the Lord. We didn't, you know, do what we were supposed to do, so to speak. And God looks at our mess and goes, man, I have blessing for you. I want you to walk in. I give you my word. I give you my spirit. I want what's best for you. I want what's best for me, is which is best for us, right? God, which, what's best for God is what's best for us. And so what happens is we go ahead of God, or we go outside of what God has clearly said to us, and we try to make things happen. We end up with the Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael situations in our lives that totally populate our families, amen? And I'm just not saying amen like yay, but it happens, right? And so... What I love about this is that this is the first appearance of the angel of the Lord who, who I believe is, is Jesus Christ before his coming. We see that he's worshipped as God. We see that he receives worship. They call him God. It's very interesting. Angel means messenger. And this messenger 
the first person he appears to, this is apart from Melchizedek, separate situation for those of you thinking that, he appears to this Gentile, and he appears to a woman, and he appears to the woman in the wilderness, wandering far away. And if we go to our, our minds and our hearts and we look at the teachings of Jesus, Jesus, that's his heart. You figured he'd go to like Abraham. Hey, Abraham, right away. But no, the angel of the Lord, he appears to, to whom? To Hagar. In that parable of that 99 sheep that were in the fold and the one that was lost, he leaves the fold. He goes after the one that was lost. And as we were talking last week, that is the heart of Jesus. And if you're here, you're here this morning, you feel like, man, I'm out in the wilderness. I'm just broken. I'm lost. I don't even know where I am. God hears you. And that's what the angel Lord told him. He says, I hear you. And she said, not only do you hear, but you see. And she named the well, the God who sees me. And she had this encounter. And the Lord told her, hey, I want you to go back. And your son, don't worry about your son. I will bless your son. And it's amazing that we can get ourselves into such circumstances, but, and, and it's not necessarily what God had intended, but nevertheless, the Lord Jesus wants to get in the middle of it and make it right. He wants to bless us and heal us and to, to bring life into our situations again. And I love that about the Lord. Don't you? I need that. And so he calls her to go back, go back and submit yourself to Sarah who's mistreating you. And I'm sure those two ladies are up in heaven right now having a great time. Oh, yeah, remember when I did that? Yeah, yeah. That's all good now. But so Abraham has this child, Ishmael, and it's been 13 years later as we enter into chapter 17. It says in chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, verse 1, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am Almighty God. Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. I am Almighty God. This is the first time they used the word El Shaddai. The Almighty God, the most powerful God. And he appears to Abraham and goes, I am all-powerful God. Ooh, you know? Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. And then, this all-powerful God commanding Abram to walk before him faithfully and blamelessly. He's just, I mean, could you imagine that? God just appearing before you and just declaring who he is. And it says that Abraham fell on his face here, but that word blamelessly and, and faithfully, that's hard for us to understand. And the King James puts it, walk before me perfectly. And, that, and the reason why the writers of the NIV kind of divided those, that word perfectly into two different words, faithfully and blamelessly, is because the idea is, I want all of you, Abram, I am this all-powerful God, and I want all of you. I want you to walk faithfully. I want you to be, I want all of you. I want your heart. I don't want any part of you that's missing. I want it under my control, under my command, under my blessing. And that's what God desires to do with us, is to possess us and to bless us. To possess us fully, to capture our hearts, that any wandering part of our lives would be brought into his blessing, into his lordship. And this is what Jesus seeks in us, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him daily. But the idea here is that God Almighty wants all of Abram. 
And he goes in verse 2, says, Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram fell face down. Good response. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will now be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. And so God appears to him. He reminds him of his promises to him. How many of you need to be reminded of the promises of God? How many times is this now that God has told him about this? And as we notice, he's going to tell him a little bit more each time as he grows in his face. He gives him a little bit more to handle. If God had given him all the details right away, how, how, how do you think that would have worked out? No. And God often, often goes, hey, Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He had no idea what that meant. He had no idea the great things and the hardships that he would go through. But God is desiring to create faith in us, which is the economy of God is what is more precious than anything to the Lord is, is your trust in him and what he says. That is love. And so he says to him, I'm going to change your name. And Abraham, his name, Abram, now I get to say Abraham or you know, we can call him Abe if you want, but Exalted Father, that was his name, Exalted Father, changed it to the father of a multitude or a chief of a multitude. You're not just the Exalted Father. Now you are the chief of a multitude of many people. And God did this with Sarah as well, as we'll read later in the chapter. He changed her name from Sarai to Sarah. Now, which means princess to exalted noblewoman. We often go on from there, but God did something really interesting with the language that I want to share with you just for a second. And for those of you who like language, that will be fun. For the rest of you, be bored for five minutes, okay? The Hebrew alphabet, ancient Hebrew alphabet, is really interesting. And you have a sign there, like, this is the first letter in the ancient Hebrew alphabet. On the right is the modern Hebrew alphabet. On the left is the ancient Hebrew alphabet. What does that look like on the left? Yeah, it looks like a steer. And, and, and so what's interesting about this alphabet is that it's, a, it's not only phonetic, it has sounds, but it also has a concept with the picture of what it looks like. And so it's, it's a dual language there. And so you have Aleph, which means first or strength or leader. And you can see like a, like a bull, right? And go to the next one. Bet, which is a B. Now, on the left, that looks like kind of like a teepee or a house, right? And that's where you that's where you get like Bethlehem, which means what does it mean? House of house of God, right? And then and then oh, sorry, Bethel is house house of God. Bethlehem is house of bread, right? And so these pictures, as you're looking at them, they actually have imagery behind them, symbols behind them. So if we look at an A, it's kind of like well, there's an A, maybe anarchy, you know. But I mean, these actually have real pictures behind them. So go to the next one. If you put these two words together, you've got ab. And what's really interesting is, is Hebrew is read from right to left, not from left to right. And what's really interesting, again, is that from Jerusalem, if you're looking at Jerusalem, all the languages to the right of Jerusalem or, you know, to the east of Jerusalem are written from right to the left, and all the ones to the left are written from left to right. Very interesting stuff. And uh, so if you look at this ab, you put the a, which is like the, the head, which means leader, right? 
And then you have the house, the picture of the house. What, is, what does that mean when you put those two together? Well, the leader of the house, who is that? It's the father. That's the word for father. Really interesting. You're going, why am I telling you this? Well, get one, get you one more here. There's another really cool letter. Of course, they're all cool to me. But uh, it's a he. And it, it means kind of hands lifted up or open window. That's kind of what it looks like. But it means behold or reveal, uh, revealed. It also means breeze, wind. Or it's in it. it is the word for spirit. For spirit. And so when they look at that word, that's he. That's ruhak Elohim. It's the word for the Holy Spirit. It's condensed form. And so go to the next one. And so it's what's interesting about that letter is if you put the sound in the middle of something, it brings out the essence of what it really is. I know this is really strange, but it brings out the essence of what that word is. And so remember the A-B, father? Ab is father. Will you put the in the middle of it? And what is the essence of a father? It's love. And that's the word for love. And so that word, that word, that kind of word that kind of is similar to spirit, what means spirit, it's interesting when you put it in the middle of a father, what happens? And love. Well, what happens when you put it, go to the next one. Because when he put his name in Abraham, what happened? What did he put in there? He put an H in there. Abraham and Sarah. What changed in their lives? What happened? What did God put in them possibly? What is this picture alluding to that the Holy Spirit might be teaching? Put it. They changed deeply. What was it? God might have put his spirit in them. And it's really interesting how this adds this adds up in different places. And so we're reading and we just go, oh yeah, he's now the father of nations. Well, God is doing also something. He's doing more than we can see. And I, I just, this just blows me away that little things like that, um, that word heh, which means spirit, was put right in the middle of their names and they were changed. And it's interesting from this point, now he says, walk blamelessly in front of me. Now I want you to do what you could not do apart from me. Very interesting. But anyways, something to chew on there. But verse 6 says, I will make you very fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and between you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and to be the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then, verse 9, God said to Abram, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And for the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household. 
uh, or brought or bought with money from your foreigner, those who are not of your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh and it is to be an everlasting covenant. And any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That's weird that the word circumcision is, is repeated 13 times and, and his son is 13 years old. It's really kind of who knows what that's about. That is pretty amazing. The Lord might be reminding him of something. But as I'm looking at this, you see God is calling him to a sign of the covenant. And in God had an unconditional covenant with Abram, and he would receive the promise of covenant by faith. Now check out, this is what God promised to him. Two things. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you this piece of property from, and we, we know earlier, it was from the Euphrates River all the way to the Nile River, like a 300,000 square foot, uh, square mile chunk. It was huge. I'm going to give this to you. It's going to be your possession when you come back into the land after a period of 400 years. And the second thing he says is, is I'm going to make you a great nation. I will do these things on your behalf. It wasn't based upon Abraham. It was based upon God. God said it would happen. He was going to do it through Abraham. Remember the covenant where they cut the animals in half and they walked through and they made the contract. It was God who walked through. Abraham did not enter into contract with God. It was a one-sided deal. God did it all. He would do it. And now he's saying, and, and Abraham believed in his heart that God would do that and he was accredited righteous, right? He was made right. He was saved by belief in God. And now God says, because of this belief, as a sign of that belief, I want you to do something for me. And I want you to have a sign upon your body. And it's an everlasting, uh, it's, a, it's a symbol, a physical symbol of an everlasting covenant. And that symbol is also a symbol of what God desired in the hearts of his people. The cutting away of the flesh, of the old life, and a life that is dedicated towards God now through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he desired. Very powerful stuff as we look at this, this covenant. It's a very personal reminder very personal reminder for the men of that day of who they were. It was intimate. Permanent. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sitting here going, you're going to have this meeting with God. God shows up and he starts talking to you and he says, hey, I want to go ahead and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bless you and all this stuff. He reminds and you're going, yes, I love the blessing part. Thank you so much for reminding me all these things. And now I want you to have a sign. And you're like, cool, a sign of the covenant. I'm going to get a statement t-shirt. I'm going to get an ID card, a badge, a hat. Something's going to be awesome. And I can wear a bracelet. What would Jesus do all day long? Here we go. Woo! And I want you to be, this is the sign of the covenant for you and everybody else. You're going to be circumcised. Whoa! How'd you like coming home from that meeting and explain that to Sarah? You know, I mean, <laughs> hey, uh, this is what's got to go on. He's 99. 99 years old. He and everybody, the whole army, the whole shop. If you're going to be under my covenant, I want you to have this sign. Now, this old covenant is a physical covenant. And this is what he says there in verse 10 or 12 or 13 or something. He says, it's in your flesh. It's in your flesh. 
It's a symbol of a physical thing, but it's in your flesh. And every Jew that was born from Abraham would go under that. Now, the danger of that is that what happened in their history, they identified being righteous with God by the physical, their physical feature, their act, right? Instead of what it represented. That they were a people that were separate from the world and they were God's. And so you get into the New Testament and you have a bunch of trouble. You have Jews that have called out to God and asked Him for forgiveness, but now they're trying to get Gentiles to go ahead and do the same thing. And there's an argument that goes along, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But what happens in the New Testament is there's a new covenant. And the new covenant is under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not temporary. Old Testament stuff is all done with pictures and symbols that represent a spiritual reality. A spiritual reality. You look at the bulls and the goats and the heifers and all that stuff for sacrifice. What does that point to? Jesus Christ. The Sabbath day. What does that point to? Jesus is our rest. You keep going through all the old imagery and it points to the reality of Jesus Christ. You come to a situation now where you have a physical situation, circumstance, uh, a circumcision where they have to have this physical situation. And what it points to is the spiritual reality of Christ on the cross. And we'll read a little bit about that in just a second. Christ, when he died, he killed the flesh and the spirit lived, so to speak, as the New Testament teaches. And we live in him now. The new, in the New Covenant, we have a sign as well, a sign of baptism. When we have trusted in faith to the Lord, that he will do what he said he would do, that he died for our sins, and that he rose again on the third day. We, we, can, we uh, believe in our hearts that Jesus died, and we confess with our mouths that God raised him from the again, again Romans 10.10, 10, and we are saved by faith. And then God asks us to do something about it. He wants you to be baptized, an outward symbol of an inward reality. Now what happens with the church? We think that because we have been baptized as an infant or a child or even as an adult that we are saved that cannot necessarily be true because whatever is done has to be done in faith it has to be in faith in your heart god's asking people i want you to be baptized but we look to the symbol the physical water the dipping water cannot save us what did it say in what did jesus say Oh, John the Baptist saved Jesus. I come baptized in Luke chapter 3.16. Another good gospel verse, right? Luke 3.16. Man, I, I came to baptize you with water. But there's one coming after me who, sandal straps, I'm not worthy to un, unlatch. He will baptize you with, with, not only with water, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the question is, does God want to baptize us with water? Is that what the water really represents? It's not the water, folks. It's a spiritual reality that Jesus Christ died. When we go into the water, he died for our sins. And when he came back, he rises again. Just as I go into the water, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But it's now Christ who lives in me. And the life I live as I'm now raised. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. 
And you see in baptism, you, you see that we're called to be baptized into the Father, into the Son, into the Holy Spirit. And you see all three of them at work there. You see that baptism, what is the seal? What is the seal of the new covenant? We talk about baptism, but what is baptism? It baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. You're, you have God's Spirit within you. That you're possessed by Him. That's what it's about. That you are no longer walking according to the flesh. The old way, you are now His in Christ. The old man, things have gone away. You are now a new creation. And the Holy Spirit now indwells you. And now you have this war going on between the old self and the Holy Spirit who now lives in you. What is our down payment? What is the seal upon us? The Holy Spirit. And you see all three of the people baptizing into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To be immersed in God. And we stop short and we look at the water. No, it's what the water represents. God wanted to give us something we could tangibly see for a spiritual reality that was going on in our hearts. And, you know, that's why I always, before we baptize people, and we were talking about having a baptism very soon, I always ask, you know, well, I was baptized as a child. Okay, well, there's no examples of Scripture as for of, of, of infant baptism. None whatsoever. Now, I know people, parents have baptized their children, and, and I, know, I know the heart behind it, right? You want, you want your kid to experience God. But it's through faith. And if a child can't have understanding in what they're doing, it's nothing. God, it's always been upon people who have been baptized an understanding, a response to the work of the Spirit in their life. And the Old Testament, the Old Covenant of circumcision, everybody was born into it. You were of the lineage of Abraham. Or if you're an outsider, you had to do it too, right? You got pulled in. New Covenant's different. We are born again into it. We're not born of the flesh of a lineage, of a person. We are born of the Spirit. We're born of the, Holy, of, of the Holy Spirit. We're renewed in our spirit. And now we are children of God. That's a powerful image. That's a powerful picture. And God says to Abraham, hey, I want you to walk, I want you to walk blamelessly in front of me. How do we walk blamelessly in front of God? How do we walk perfectly in front of God? It's not perfection. It's God, you have my heart. You have me. Are we going to stumble? Yes. Praise God, 1 John 1, 9. For if we sin, we confess our sins to the Lord, and he is faithful to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. We have this wonderful walk of grace. We have been saved from wrath of God, and now we get to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We get to grow in our walk with the Lord. It's beautiful. And Abraham... He's been given this, this covenant, this, this sign in the Old Testament. And for us, it's a, it's, it's, it's a picture of the cutting away of the flesh, of the old life and the new life. But as I said, they kind of blew it, and they kind of went to looking at the physical sign as being the means of it all. And so God also said to Abram, as for your wife Sarah, you know no longer to call her Sarah but you will name her Sarah. And so we, we see that happening there in verse 15. Did I get messed up here? Sorry. The day that I don't put numbers in my notes. 
Yeah, that's 15. And as for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer called Sarah, but you're going to name her Sarah. And he changed her name again by adding that, that H in the little spirit. So it's pretty interesting. Verse 16, And I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her, and I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Verse 17, And Abram fell face down, and he laughed, and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? He's 99. His wife is, you know, 89. Kind of impossible situation. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And he has a little doubt here. And he says, And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. God, look what I've done to... Look, at, it's all right here. It's perfect. It's my son. Take him. If only Ishmael will live under your blessing. And then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, which means laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And so it seems Abraham is having a moment of doubt here in regarding God's plan when he says this. He says, hey, you know, let your blessings come through Ishmael. Let you, I've already got this kid. No need to have any more kids. I'm old. Just let this one happen. So God is saying, yeah, I'm going to bless your son. I'm going to totally bless your son. I'm going to bless Ishmael. And he t- and he talks about it. He says, I'm, I'm going to make him, you know, I'm going to have 12. He's going to have 12 sons just like your other kids are going to have 12 sons. And they're going to have a multitude of people. Sand of the sea, there's going to be a lot of people. And those are the, you know, the Arab world, the non-Jewish people over there. The descendants of Ishmael. Their father was Abraham. And, but he says, guess what? But I am not going to allow the promises of God what can only be done in faith through the flesh. Ishmael was through the flesh. I told you you were going to have a child and it would be through your wife. And that is where my blessings come. When you trust in what I say, you can't finagle the, 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 the uh, covenant of God, the blessings of God, so to speak here. It has to be done in His way, trusting in what He said. And like I said, God will often give us promises like Abraham did, and it takes time to bring them about. How many of you are waiting on for God to answer something or say something or do something? You know that the Lord's spoken to your heart. How many of you have tried to make that happen? I see a lot of smiles out there. Me too. But again, this is the way the Lord works. It's the way of the Lord. Our attempts of bringing about the blessings of God through our own means cannot attain what God, uh, what can only be received by faith in God's promises. God wants to give us eternal life. We do not have to go out and get it. It's a gift of God. You have to receive it by faith. Yes, Lord, I believe. Nothing you can do. And yet we have people knocking on doors and, and, and doing everything they can that hopefully in the end God will outweigh the good and the bad. No, it is a gift. It is a promise that God gave. Now, I believe that what you said, you'll make good on, Lord. You're saved. Yay. But I didn't do anything, and that feels wrong. Yeah, it does, kind of. Rubs against our pride. If only I could add to it, it would be look a little better. We're adding to the cross of Christ. We cannot do that. And 
what we do with what we've done, and I've talked about this, is discipleship. We have been saved, and now what should our, what should our lives look like? It's a response. It's worship. And so then we're not knocking on doors to be saved. We're knocking on doors, or we're, we're sharing with people, or we're giving, or whatever we're doing, in response to what God has done in our hearts. That's worship, and that's where we should live. Amen? And so... God talks about Ishmael here in verse 20. He says, I want you to name your son that you're going to have, the son of promise. I want you to name him Isaac, which means laughter. But what about Ishmael? As for Ishmael, verse 20, I've heard you, and I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I establish will be with Isaac whom Sarah will bear you, uh, bear to you this time next year. That's a pretty cool promise. <laughs> He's narrowing down the timing of everything and all these things. And so when he had finished speaking, verse 22, with Abram, God went up from him. And on that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God had told them on that day right away. And Abraham obeyed the Lord at risk of being vulnerable militarily, at risk of being made fun of, at, at, at risk of, of all. I obey you, Lord. And it's kind of funny when God asks us to do something that exposes us or might cause us harm, we, we tend to second guess him. You know? And, and I would ask you today, what is the Lord asking you to do? What has he been asking you to do? that might cause you embarrassment, that might cause you vulnerability, that might cause you um, whatever it might be. That's a hard situation. What are they going to think of me? Or whatever the situation, you know the Lord's working in your hearts. But he obeyed them right away, as God has told, God had told them. In verse 24, And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. And Abram and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that day. And every male in Abram's house, including those born in his household, were bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Funny, we repeated 13 times there. We'll get into Genesis 18 next week. <clears throat> Read ahead, it's pretty interesting, 18 and 19. And we're going to get into some really precious chapters coming up here. Really just deep chapters about, and there's so much imagery and pictures of God and the church and his bride and all these types of things. It's just, it's just powerful. So read ahead and let the Lord minister to your heart. Just a closing thought. Um, as I was, you know, as I was going over this, it's, it's a very difficult chapter because you're talking about sensitive stuff, but the heart of it is, is that the reality is you could be going to this church and be a member of this church your whole life and end up separated from God for eternity. And I know it's like, what? But I'm a member here, but I've done this and I've done that. I've been circumcised. I've been baptized. So what? That is not how we are saved. We are saved by faith in the Lord. And I have to say it because when you get a church and then you get they start growing older. Who knows who's in there? I know you. I've talked to you. 
But nevertheless, you know, living in America, you know, I used to say like 30, 40 years ago, hey, I'm a Christian. Why? Because I live in America. You know? Well, like they say, you know, living in your garage, does that make you a car? You know? I mean, no. Yeah. There's a heart thing. There's a trust that's not based upon what you've done, but upon what he said and what he has done for you. And that's it. And so I encourage you to search your hearts and say, have I been trusting in, in these things for salvation? Have I been trusting in these signs or whatever it might be instead of just trusting the finished work of Christ? Now, let me add to that. You will know a tree by its fruit. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So a disciple is one who has been born again. And now they are following the teachings of Jesus Christ. Not as a means of righteousness, but a response of love. That is who we are. We're Christians. We're little Jesuses. And it should be demonstrated in our lives. And how that looks, got a lot of different trees in here, right? It's going to look different, but we're all connected to the vine. And the way that we have fruit in our lives as Christians is to connect with Jesus. And I shared this last week. We must abide. We cannot manufacture the fruit that God desires in our lives. It is something that comes from hanging out with the Lord, spending time with Him, hearing His voice. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But through Christ, I can do all things. When is the last time? Take away Sunday, everybody. Sunday doesn't count. When is the last time you've spent time with Jesus? Spent time with the Father? Just praying, talking to Him, singing a worship song to Him. When is the last time? And I talk to myself about this. I'm not just talking to you. I have to. But take that away, and will I? Mm. My heart's just like everybody else's. I got things to do, places to go, things to watch. All right? I just, I want, I want God in my life fully. I want God in my family's life fully. I want God in your life. I just want you guys to walk in His blessing day after day. And it shouldn't be this giant heavy weight. His burden, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. It should be a joy. And if it isn't, take time to find out why not. Because in the end, all the things you're doing, all the places you're going, all the things we're involved with are secondary to knowing Him. So I encourage you this week to go deeper in Jesus. Don't look at your accomplishments. Don't look at your resume. Look to Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters, and I thank you that I get to go on this journey of faith with them. And Lord, I am so far from perfect, and they are so far from perfect in our own in our own flesh and our own strength. And that is why we need you, Lord, in your spirit. We depend fully upon you. So fill us today. Overflow us, empower us, God, to, to walk after you. 
to love you with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strengths. Have dominion, have authority over all that we have and all that we are, all that we say, all that we do. Our jobs, our children, our church, our cars, our money, it's all yours. You are Lord. We are your servants, bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And take us and do whatever you want with us, Lord. If we have to go back and submit to someone who's not treating us right, God, give us the grace and the strength to do it. If we have to go share with someone, Lord, that we don't want to share with, give us the words, Lord, not in our strength, in our flesh, but in your spirit, your power. Lord, if we're living a life that is contrary to your spirit, God, give us the strength and the power to to turn, to repent. Help us, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for the work you've done in our lives and you are doing in our lives. So guide us this week. Every step, every, every moment, every phone call, Lord, just be there with us. Be present. We choose to abide in you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.